0: Okay, it's amazing how God is able to work through small things, Um, things that sometimes seem like inconsequential or like it doesn't matter in the moment. God is able to work through small things. And so as we continue our short series um, (coughs) on Christmas themes this evening, that's actually what we're going to be looking at. Um, at how God uses things that are very often by us um, overlooked, Um, in particular small things, Um, and how God very often chooses to use those small things over other bigger things. Um, And so we want to start by looking at at the Christmas story, Um, and we're going to read a few verses um, that we are in no doubt going to be reading over and over for the next few weeks, um, but we want to see how vitally important the roles of small things played was, even in the, in the Christmas story. Um, and then as we will try to branch out from, from there, and we'll see where the Lord leads us. So we're going to read from Luke chapter 2, um, we'll read the first 12 verses there very well-known text. (coughs) This is what it says, in those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Now, as we know, um, just from having come to church a lot, that um, through prophecy for generations in advance, Um, that a savior to the Jews and the rest of creation was going to be born in Bethlehem. And what is often forgotten is the fact that Jesus, this baby who was born, is actually more than just a savior. While Jesus is also the king of the Jews, if we can recall his time of crucifixion and how that was a big theme, He is also King and Lord over all creation, as we discovered last week when we focused on that. And there are a number of scriptures that point to the fact that Jesus is a King and King of all creation. There are many more than just those, but Revelation 19.13, for example, says, He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the word of God. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And then for example, um, Daniel chapter seven, over at Explore, we are going through Daniel. Just this morning, we we went through Daniel six. He says, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. All of those texts talk about Jesus being a king. Now, when you are a king and when you are part of royalty, there's, there's an expected degree of what we might call esteem, um, maybe social standing or honor or high regard, perhaps even approval that comes along with royalty, comes along with being a king. And so, as it relates to a king, one would expect a certain degree of pomp and ceremony when a royal is born. Um, and so, for example, if we considered the modern-day British royal family and how they deal with um, the birth of a royal family member, we notice that for them, the birth of a royal not only signifies the continuing reign of their monarchy but it also reassures for them a sense of hope for their future that is not just restricted to them as the royal family but in their minds it includes the fate of all of their nation and so for them and i'm sure for the rest of the other royal families that still exist around the world today, they make it a highly notable process or an occasion with um, rules and an etiquette in place when a baby is born in their context. And so I actually had a look to see what some of the pregnancy protocols are for um, British royals and they. Must all know them? Just by, for example, um, so this baby here is this guy, and that baby there is him, um, and that is the easel that they put outside when they announce that a, a royal is to be born. So, these are some of the protocols that they that they have to abide by. So, the first one there is that the king must be the first to know about a pregnancy in the royal family. He must be the first one. No one else can know. They're not allowed baby showers or gender reveal parties. Bummer. Um, and then royals as we know, as we would expect I suppose, they must limit their travels during their time of pregnancy. <laughs> no donkey rides. Um, and then they, they um, the pregnancy is announced only after 12 weeks. So there's an amount of certainty that they want to have before they make this announcement. And then royals have their own official surgeon um, gynecologist. Um, They've got to watch what they wear. And then, of course, those announcements are made officially, as I showed you in that previous picture there, on an easel outside of Buckingham Palace. So everyone is now on the same page with them. Now, as we look at this list of protocols that exists, what impression do we get when we compare the birth of Jesus, who we understand is also a king, he's also royalty? When we compare his birth. Um, to the birth of these modern-day royals. What thoughts do you have when you think about that? The shepherds were told somewhere outside in the field. We all know it. Come on, guys. (laughs) Say it, Liam. There was no palace and no easel. (laughs) <laughs> Joseph, yeah, Joseph didn't know. <laughs> that was awkward. Paparazzi weren't present. Say again. There was no gynecologist either. Okay. So so as we compare them, um, it can't, you get the very clear impression that Jesus, um, his birth seems to have been a lot more low-key, isn't it, than, than modern-day royalty um, experience it. I listed two or three things Yeah, You guys mentioned both of them, but what was interesting in terms of the transport was that Mary and Joseph, they actually had to, Mary in her state, in her pregnant state, they had to walk about 140 kilometers from Nazareth to Bethlehem which was a journey that would probably have taken them about a week Um, and they would probably have moved in a caravan it wasn't just that image that we have of just them um, Mary sitting on a donkey and it probably wasn't anything like that we also don't know if Mary actually did ride a donkey Um, the text doesn't tell us that (laughs) catastrophe (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and then as, as we mentioned, there was no modern medical aid. There was no surgeon-gynecologist um, present. In fact, records from early Rome record that about, um, in terms of maternity mortality, pregnancy that wouldn't, uh, wouldn't um, go all the way, as it were, that the child wouldn't make it, actually was about, in that time, about 30% mortality. So, um, only um, 60%, just over 60% of births actually made it. So, it was was quite a thing um, during those times to be pregnant. There was no hospital, um, there was rather space near to where animals were being kept, um, and some of the other things we mentioned. Now, we expect, That royalty, future kings and queens, would be born in suitably luxurious places, such as palaces or the best-equipped hospitals, and their birth would be widely celebrated because of their status. But the birth of the Son of God... The King of Kings could not have been more different to that. When I think about it, it's it's difficult to think of a life stage for us as human beings that is more humble, more vulnerable and lowly than a newborn. It is our stage of life where we are at our most vulnerable. And Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, could have entered creation. If we think about how we described it last week, he could have stepped into our reality as the angel of the Lord. He could have, Um, as he did at various times recorded in the Old Testament, as we interpreted. But he chose a much more unassuming, meek average way being born to a virgin in an average lowly working class setting of that particular period and so jesus birth would have been seen as not big enough not great at all in the eyes of the world at that time not on par with the expected setting royalty ought to be accustomed to and so to many he would not have been worthy of worship now as followers of Jesus Jesus we worship a big god with a big mission that will one day come to complete fulfillment in this Big world that we live in. Yet for all of God's greatness and all of his bigness and his magnitude, our God seems to have a remarkable love for the small and the meek and what we might call weak beings. He sets his eye upon small people in small places during small moments the Son of God Paul records it like this in Philippians chapter 2 verses 6 to 8 he says the Son of God who did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped even became small to save us personally speaking you know um, the longer I have experienced serving the Lord, and this might seem a bit controversial to you, the more I have come to realize that most Christians, most believers, will probably end up making only a modest contribution to the work of God in the world. Probably. And that's not necessarily a sign of disobedience or a, or a lack. Of surrender or downplaying the contribution that gets made, experience kind of has showed me that. You know, we, we, we oftentimes seem to have this idea that we have to do great things for God. Whatever the contribution is that we bring, it must have weight. But when we speak of great things, of things that look flashy, of things that draw esteem. What do we have in mind, you know? Do we mean dramatic, those things, attention-getting things, like large numbers responding to our ability to um, to expound on Scripture? Or perhaps achievements that will be remembered with our names attached to them, decades, or even centuries after we die. Or maybe it's an ability to speak prophetically and never be wrong about it. Maybe those are some of the great things that we have in mind. But the truth is, I think, is that it doesn't appear that the Lord has such great plans, grand plans, for the majority of the ones who he's called out. Most of the things it seems to me that we will do will seem small and insignificant to us. Those deeds will seem of little value and contribution to us. But here's the thing. Small things, little things Are very important. Not because of what they are in and of themselves, but because they can be part of something much greater than what even we can imagine. And we see many occurrences of God using small seemingly insignificant people, small seemingly insignificant moments and things to bring about his will. And I, and I want to highlight some of those things under three headings um, that concern the significance of it. And this is the first thing. The first thing is that small things are definitely a part of God's plan, a big part of his plan. In First Kings um, chapter 19, there's this st- story there with Elijah and Elijah had just um, done an amazing work with um, outdoing the, the, um, these false gods on Mount Carmel. And then he comes um, running from that massive event after the king's wife threatened him and he runs into a cave. And while he's in the cave there, he's expecting great things because God just sent fire down. A short while ago but what 1st um, Kings chapter 19 records for us is that God speaks to him and it says there in the sound of a low whisper and it shows us the slow and gradual nature of God's work in Elijah's time and Elijah's own role in that work God can do big things but he can also do small things in us and through us In Jesus' parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25, the master didn't focus on the amounts given to each servant. You know there's that parable there of he gives this one so much and he gives that one so much, that one. Um, The master didn't focus on the amounts given to each servant, but on the faithfulness that each servant displayed in using their resources. And so the servant That got five talents made another five and the servant who made two made two more but to both the master gave the same response which was in verse 26 of chapter 25 he said well done good and faithful servant you have been faithful over a little i will set you over much enter into the joy of your master in Mark chapter 12, there's another parable there, um, but it basically says that Jesus wasn't impressed with people who put in large sums into the offering. Instead, he praised the widow who only gave two small copper coins that made a penny. And Jesus focused not on the amount, on the size, on the magnitude but on the sacrifice involved and the heart behind it. And then Jesus, in Matthew 13, the well-known one, he compared the kingdom of heaven to a mustard seed. Second one is that small things can advance bigger things. In God's kingdom, it seems that nothing emerges fully grown and complete. There seems to be a theme that I that I notice in scripture of God supplying enough to initiate a move and then he leaves room for our faith and our input. In the Old Testament there's this story in Exodus chapter 17 where the Israelites are at war with, this, with Amalek. It's an interesting story. And in the story, God tells Moses to hold up this wooden staff that had been used to cross over the Red Sea. And as long as Moses held up the staff, the Israelites would advance in this battle and they would get the upper hand. Um, but as soon as Moses' arms dropped Amalek, Would then start to gain ascendancy and would start to win. But then Aaron and Hur, they step up and they take hold of Moses' arms and they hold up his arms and what happens is the Israelites defeat Amalek. And so that simple small act of just holding up Moses' arms into a very big victory and then there's the story of Zechariah who records how the temple was being rebuilt after the Israelites returned from exile and he makes this very well-known statement in chapter 4 and verse 10 he says for whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. A plumb line is a construction tool. They're busy rebuilding the wall. And so the process of building is a lengthy process. It is a process of taking one small stone, putting it on top of another small stone, until all of these small stones together make a big, big wall. And so Zechariah is saying here that, that if we are genuinely faithful in the day of small things, then our small obedience will become something big. But very often not usually right away and not often in the ways that we expect. The third one there is that small things reflect Christ. One of my favorites, and I'm sure one of Kirk's favorites as well, is in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 5. We see how Jesus valued small children and urged others to do the same. He says there in verse 5 Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And so when we read this, this almost immediately reminds us. Of those who serve in children's ministry and there are many of us here who serve in children's ministry and how Jesus values that input how important it is to him to minister to children because he follows it up with a sobering warning kind of like child protection advice Um, to any who abuse their power over children. And in verse 6, he says, But whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Wow. There's some encouragement to get involved in children's ministry. And then in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus speaks about judgment day and he says that um, he will treat ministry to those he calls one of the least of these as ministry to himself in Matthew 25 and verse 40. Now the least of these refers to those in a variety of needy situations. And they would include the hungry, the thirsty, the impoverished, the sick, the imprisoned, the homeless. And then the same, there he says, goes for failure to minister to them as well in verse 45. And Jesus came to serve us like a slave. And Paul kind of uses that kind of language. And he calls us to live in that way as well. in Mark chapter 10. He says Jesus emptied himself by becoming a man and dying on the cross for our sins. You know, I think that we've got, um, we've got a thing with size. Um, we have been conditioned to think that bigger is better. It's gotta be flashy, um, you gotta draw a lot of people, um, you gotta have high impact. And even the way in which society engages reinforces that kind of thinking. And it encourages us to chase after larger, more superior, greater things. But if we allow Jesus through his scriptures, through the presence of his Holy Spirit to reshape our ideas and our thoughts of how size works in his kingdom, then I think we will learn to see the day of big things, not only off in the future, but in some sense also here right now, in the midst of all that seems so small. And so unimportant and so sometimes those things that we think are small and they don't matter are actually big and they have life-altering consequences and so I think we will see just how small were all of the world's big things and just how big was the day of small things. Over the course of their three years following Jesus, the disciples needed to have their ideas of what's big and what's small, what matters and what doesn't matter. They had to continually have that redefined for themselves. And so as with most of us, They had allowed their world to define these terms for them without even knowing it. And so for them, the big things included important people, large crowds, coveted status. But through being in Jesus' presence, being recipients of his Holy Spirit, the great things of the world grew strangely dim, and the small things that Jesus showed them grew very big. And so when I think about this, I feel encouraged to attempt small things. You know, the big God that we serve is apparently patient enough to endure centuries of small days. His kingdom, which will one day cover the earth, doesn't start big. His kingdom grows from one old man and his barren wife. His kingdom grows from the fewest of all peoples, that's what Israel was called. His kingdom grows from a mustard seed and a bit of yeast. His kingdom grows from an embryo in the womb of a virgin. His kingdom grows from 12 uneducated men, and some women as well. In closing, What does it look like for us to live this way of not despising things that seem small and unimportant to us? What does it mean for us? What will it mean for us to worship a God who works like this and who actively chooses to rate things that are small as important? I think it will mean for us Praying for the big stuff, longing for the big move of God, and working for the big, all while faithfully and contentedly devoting ourselves to the small. Praying for revival, and then come and prepare coffee and tea. Dream of the knowledge of God's glory flooding the earth, as Habakkuk chapter 2 describes it for us. And then bring a taste of that glory when you encourage someone in life group, or when you meet someone on the street and pray with them. Experience the glory of the presence of the Lord in worship and praise as we do this evening and then go home and make a sandwich and a cup of coffee for a hungry homeless person. You see, as long as we expect the big to come now and on the world's terms, whether in our churches or whether in our cities or even in our souls, we will be tempted to forsake the seemingly weak instruments of faith and faithfulness. And so we might find ourselves, instead of planting, watering, and waiting for God to bring the growth as Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we may try to pump the soil with chemical fertilizer to force growth. Or we may want to install an irrigation system that ends up drowning the seed. And we may harvest out of season because we want more. And so as we, as we think about the birth of Jesus, as we enter into the season where it will be highlighted for us in most places where we go, when we think about that and how insignificant that would have been on that day 2,023 days ago, let us be reminded that big things can come from small things, and small but faithful people.